Hi everyone, this is Dan and welcome to the Rapid Boards Review Podcast. In this podcast, it is our goal to review high yield board concepts with you in a format that is easy to listen to on the go. We are not a textbook and we are not a question bank, but we are an audio boards review resource that'll go over boards associations with you in a question and answer format. This is episode number six of the podcast and episode six of our step one review random association series. In this episode, we'll be going through questions 30 through 35. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, I hope you find our content useful. Okay, number 31. A child with bluish dark lines on the gingiva. What is the diagnosis here? And what is this physical exam finding called? So the diagnosis is lead poisoning, and the physical exam finding is called lead lines, also known as Burton lines. And um, when you take an x-ray of this child, um, there's a particular finding in the bones. Do you know what that finding is in the bones and where it is? So these are also lead lines, and they're seen on the metaphysis of the long bones. And this kind of makes sense because it's the region of the bones that's growing, and the part of the bones that's growing requires the most metabolic activity, the most metals, the most enzymes, and the lead kind of just gets pulled there. So there's a really good mnemonic to remember all the things about lead poisoning. If you just remember the word L-E-A-D or lead, L stands for lead lines, which we kind of went over already. Do you know what E stands for? So E is encephalopathy, and this is the lead getting to the brain. It also stands for erythrocyte basophilic stippling. A stands for abdominal colic and also anemia. That'd be sideroblastic anemia. And D stands for drops. That could be most commonly a wrist drop or a foot drop. So do you know why you get sideroblastic anemia with lead poisoning? So this is because lead inhibits ferrochelatase and ALA dehydratase. And there's actually another, another metal that could lead to sideroblastic anemia. We talked about it in an early episode. Do you know what that is? So that's copper. And it's probably because copper reacts with ALA synthetase. So lead used to be in a common household product. Um, do you know what that is? So that's actually paint. And this actually does come up as a question. Homes built before what year? were allowed to have lead in their paint, and you should be concerned for in a question sim. So that would be 1978. So if you have a home that, for example, was built in 1990, you shouldn't be too concerned about lead in the paint. Now, there's also another year that's commonly tested, and it's the year that donated blood or donated organs became routinely tested for hepatitis C. Do you know what year that was? So that was 1992. All right, number 32, an African-American male with firm, hyperpigmented papules and pustules around the neck area. What is the diagnosis? So this is pseudo-folliculitis barba, and do you know what this is due to? It typically occurs after a particular action. So these are called bad razor bumps, quote-unquote, but it's actually an actual diagnosis. And it's, foreign body it's a foreign body inflammatory disorder of the skin, and it typically occurs after shaving. And importantly, on physical exam and from what the patient's telling you, it could be painful and pruritic. 
All right, number 33. Coffin lid-shaped crystals on urine analysis. What is this? Coffin lid-shaped crystals on urine analysis. So these are struvite stones. And also, what's another way of saying struvite? So that would be ammonium magnesium phosphate. And what are struvite stones typically resulting from? So they're caused by infection with urease positive bugs, urease positive bugs. And there's three bugs in particular that are tested. Do you know what those are? So that would be Proteus, Staph, Saprophyticus, and Klebsiella. Now, what exactly does urease do, and why does this lead to the formation of stones? I'm looking for a kind of a chemical reaction. So urease converts urea to NH3, and NH3, as you know, is alkaline. So this raises the pH of urine, and when you change the pH of urine, it forms crystals. And this could actually form a large type of crystal um, that may require surgical removal. Do you know what the type of that is? So those are called staghorn calculi. Staghorn calculi. And they're basically really big stones that could form quite proximally. And they may require surgical removal because they won't be able to be excreted normally. Now, what is the most common stone overall? The most common stone overall, kidney stone. So those would be calcium stones, and actually more specifically, calcium oxalate stones. Now, calcium oxalate stones can form two formations that, that uh, can come up on urine analysis. So we said the coffin lid was struvite stones. What are calcium oxalate stones? I'm looking for two answers. So they could form the envelope shape or the dumbbell shape. Now there's another type of calcium stone that forms. Do you know what that is? So that would be calcium phosphate. And what shape does that make? That's a wedge-shaped prism. So uric acid stones, those can form two shapes as well. What shapes are those? So that would be rhomboid or rosette-shaped. And last but not least, what is the last type of um, kidney stone I'm leaving out here. That'd be cysteine stones. And what shape do those make? Nice. Those make hexagonal shaped stones. So it's really important to know all the stones and all the shapes that they make and also the uh, common risk factors. So uh, number 34, a patient presents with leukemia and they said that they have some unilateral flank tenderness and it's a colicky pain. And they're also presenting with hematuria. And you get an x-ray, but it doesn't show any stones. What's the likely diagnosis here? So this is a uric acid stone. And you got an x-ray, didn't show any stones, but why is it a uric acid stone? What's going on here? So that's because uric acid stones are radiolucent on x-ray, and all the other ones are radio-opaque. And I know we just talked about this, but what is the shape that uric acid stones form? I'm looking for two answers. So that would be rhomboid or rosettes. 
And what are risk factors for um, for uric acid stones? So there's things like low urine volume, hot, arid climates, acidic pH, and anything that kind of causes hyperuricemia. So what are two things that can cause hyperuricemia? Gout, which we talked about in a previous episode, and also increased cell turnover. So when I'm thinking about uric acid stones, I think about somebody kind of trapped in a desert. If you're trapped in a desert, you know, you're going to have really hard access to water. So that's going to make you have low urine volume. That's one of the risk factors. If you're trapped in a desert, it's a hot and arid climate. Um, so that's one of the other risk factors, hot and arid climates. You could you know, be stuck and you're not getting the right food possible. And this could lead to increased cell turnover too. Okay, what's the treatment of uric acid stones? I'm looking for two answers here. So that would be alkalinization of the urine and allopurinol. And what's the mechanism of action of allopurinol? Good, that's a xanthine oxidase inhibitor. And what's another drug that also has the same mechanism? Fibuxostat. Nice. Okay, what are two chemotherapy drugs that are metabolized by xanthine oxidase? That's azathioprine and 6-mecaptopurine, or 6-MP. So azathioprine and 6-MP are metabolized by xanthine oxidase. So when you're taking a xanthine oxidase inhibitor, like allopurinol, these drugs can build up to toxic levels. All right, number 35. Parathyroid tumors, thyroid tumors, and pheochromocytoma. What is the diagnosis here? So this would be MEN 2A, multiple endocrine neoplasia 2A syndrome. And uh, so we said parathyroid tumors, thyroid tumors, and pheochromocytoma. What are the thyroid tumors we're talking about here? So this would be medullary thyroid cancer. And particularly, what type of cells proliferate in medullary thyroid cancer? Good, these are the parafollicular C cells. And what is the job of the parafollicular C cells? So they secrete calcitonin, which decreases the serum calcium levels. And, you know, for step one, it's really important to know all the different men's syndromes. So let's just run through them. I'll tell you a really good mnemonic to remember them. Um, so men one, what's in men one? So men one is the three Ps. That's pituitary pancreatic endocrine tumors, and parathyroid. So pituitary, pancreatic endocrine, parathyroid. What's MEN2A? So MEN2A are two Ps and one M. That's pheochromocytoma, medullary thyroid, and parathyroid. Okay, what's MEN2B? So MEN2B is one P and two Ms. That's pheochromocytoma, medullary thyroid, and a morphinoid habitus. So notice that as we increased in numbering of the men's, we went from men 1 to men 2A to men 2B, we decreased the number of Ps. So men 1 started off with 3 Ps, men 2A started off with 2 Ps and 1 M, men 2B dropped down to 1 P and 2 Ms. It's an easy way to remember them. Now, when you have men 2 in particular, that's A or B, you have a medullary thyroid risk. 
medullary thyroid cancer risk. So what's the typical treatment that kids get that are diagnosed with this? Good. It's a prophylactic thyroidectomy is required. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this content useful.